Thank you, Brian. Lord's Prayer. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5, the first book in your New Testament. Beginning a series entitled, What Does God Want From Me? Sometimes people ask that. What does he want? We're going to try to figure that out over the next several weeks. Matthew chapter 5, just open to that section and keep it open today. Matthew chapter 5. Nate is home because Blair tested positive. Blair, his wife, tested positive for COVID. So Nate said, and I probably got it too. And he probably does. And our keyboarders couldn't make a bridge because his roads were slick and icy. And, uh, well, you know the whole story, but our whole world seems to be frozen up or sick or something. Will it ever get back to normal? Will define normal? I don't know. Life goes on, doesn't it? Study history. This is old news. And cultures do this thing and we fight and just live. And you make the best of it. Matthew chapter 5. As always, we begin with prayer. Asking for God's help and his blessings and guidance. And making commitments of our own. It's a two-way street here. I'll give you a few moments to pray quietly and silently and I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your presence today, for allowing us to live in a place and a time where we can gather in warmth and safety and worship. We thank you, Father, for this great nation, for the way you have blessed us in so many ways, for giving us stability and security, the blessings of this world. Thank you. Father, we thank you especially for the life that we have in Jesus salvation and forgiveness of sins, your Holy Spirit which lives within us, your scriptures which teach and guide us, give us a sense of right and wrong. We thank you, Father. And Lord, this morning we come to you, we ask for your presence. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives, that we would be sensitive to his leadership and submissive. We ask for the ability to love others when they're not very lovable. Help us to control our tongues and our tempers. Help us to reflect Christ in all things. I guess what we need to do is think about reflecting Christ in all things. That's sometimes the last thing that comes to mind. Help us, Father. We pray for the ability to live in a way that others can see Christ in us. Help us to love Help us to forgive. Help us to be patient. As always, Father, we ask you to be with our leaders for those that have power over us. Give them wisdom, self-restraint, and discernment. 
We pray that our legislators would learn to work together for the common good. Partisan politics seem to carry the day right now. Help us, Father. We ask you to be with our soldiers and their families. First responders, give them all comfort and peace. Protect them wherever they serve. Use them, Father, to bring peace and justice, to save lives, to help us keep our economy going. Lord, as always, we just ask for your help in all things. We recognize that everything we have is a gift from you. If it's worth having, it is a gift. Thank you. Help us to live. Help us to share what we have with others. Again, Father, we thank you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've told you I had a big family. I was number five of six. And I was kind of quiet when I was a kid. Mom says I was bashful. And if she was looking for me, she'd usually look around a corner. And I'd have a tinker toy set in a closet or something, staying away above the fray. Not that I was better than anybody, I just didn't want to mess with them. But when there was a fight, I wanted to watch it. I didn't like to fight, but I did like to watch. So one day, I was eight or nine years old, don't remember, I heard quite a commotion going on in the basement. Now, in those days, we lived upstairs, and the basement was just, well, it was the way basements used to be. But it did have a TV, and that's where my brother's bedroom was, such as it was. And the commotion was from down there. Well, because I always wanted to watch my brothers fight, they were older, and always, it was always entertaining. One was a little bitty fire plug, and the other one had a big mouth. So it was always entertaining to watch them fight. But I knew my oldest brother wasn't home, so I didn't know who he was fighting with. So I walked down and poked down through the steps. And there was my dad and my brother screaming and yelling at each other. And they were really going at it. No fisticuffs as I remember, but they were, they were close. And this went on for some time, which was great fun for me to watch because I kept my mouth shut and just watched it. And finally, my brother wailed out, Daddy, I just don't know what you want from me. What do you want from me? And they calmed down and started talking. And at that point, it got, got boring to me. It wasn't, they weren't going to scream and yell at each other, so I just left. So I don't really know how that fight ended. But I've thought about that a lot because I remember my, my brother's plea, Daddy, what do you want from me? He was just a dumb boy, didn't know what dad wanted, and dad had a tendency to hit first and talk later, the old model, you remember. And so it was kind of hard to know what dad wanted, so I just kind of stayed away from him when he was angry. But I thought about that. That's really a, a, a sad plea, isn't it? What do you want from me? We say it when we're desperate. We say it sometimes to our spouse. Sometimes to children, sometimes to our parents. We might even say it to God. What do you want from me? God, what do you want from us? God, what do you want from me? It's a fair question, isn't it? What does God want from us? The easy answer is, well, God wants you to go to church. And God wants you to give a tithe. And God wants you to quit cussing and telling dirty jokes and all those kinds of things. You know, those are easy answers. But that's not what we're looking for, is it? I mean, we, we know there's got to be more to it than that. When we ask God, God, what do you want? We know he wants more than just that stuff. That's easy. So we're going to try to answer that question. 
I think in the section we're going to read today, Jesus' first full-length sermon, he tried to answer that question. This is what God wants from you. So follow along with me if you would in Matthew chapter 5. I'll read verses 13 through 20. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown at and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness suppresses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked in a way that captured people's attention. He was interesting. He was funny. He said things that challenged the notions of the day. It was obvious when Jesus talked that he wasn't just trying to keep the status quo going. And so today we look at this and, and one of the things that Jesus would say to us in answer to the question, God, what do you want from me? I think Jesus was saying, you can see this on screen, I want you to live with a practical and helpful faith. Religion isn't very helpful sometimes, is it? Bunch of rules, do's and don'ts, go to church on Sunday, good grief, that's it. It's not very practical sometimes, not very helpful. And it's not that everything has to be practical and helpful right now. There are things that we need to learn that don't necessarily apply to a lot of situations. But still, wouldn't it be nice if a faith could be developed that would actually make a difference in life, that would make your life better? That would make you better. That would, well, maybe make the world a better place. I think in our passage, Jesus was talking about that kind of faith. Because one of the things that God wants us to do is to live a faith that makes our lives better. God doesn't want us to go through life struggling with our own sin. God doesn't want us to keep doing the same dumb things over and again. He doesn't want us just to repeat history. I was talking to Brian earlier. We talk about a lot of things, talk about history a lot. And, uh, you know, in the last few months, I've read a lot about world history, helping my grandkids, etc. And I've said this before, and it just, I think of it literally every day. No matter what historical era you read, no matter where on the planet, it's always the same story. People fighting in their little fiefdoms, call them different names. There's a guy here and a guy here and a guy here. They get their armies and they fight and duke it out and they kill each other and slaughter each other and just go on and on. And then something happens and one guy attains dominance and he sets up a dynasty or a kingdom called different things. And for a few decades, maybe even a hundred years, there is peace and growth and people get better and they learn to read and learn to appreciate some things in life like music and art and the food gets better and everything is good for a while. 
And then, well, you know what happens. They start fussing amongst themselves or some outside invaders come in and they conquer and the, the United Kingdom dissipates and they all go back to the same and they start fighting again. And that's a cycle that's been repeated literally hundreds of times. Pick your place on the planet. It's all happened. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God intended something better for us than that? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God would give us a faith or if there was a religious faith that would enable us to be different. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. In the passage we read, he talked about two things that were out of the common experience. Salt and light. Okay. How many of you, I want to see your hand, how many of you salt your food before you taste it? I'm honest. Chris, I knew you did. You were that kind of guy. Me too. I salt it before I taste it. doesn't matter what it is. Even when I go out for fried chicken, I salt it before I taste it. Just the way it is. It's not healthy, I know. But it just makes things better, doesn't it? I like it almost too salty. If it's almost just a little bit salty, that's just right for me. Tammy doesn't understand. Tammy never gets a salt shaker out. After 40 years of marriage, I said, where's the salt? She goes, I don't know. Oh. So anyway, different, different. Salt makes things better. Can you imagine a world without salt? Ick. Salt enhances. If you've got meat and no refrigeration, what do you do? You salt it down. It preserves. In a desert environment, when you've sweat a lot, what do you do? You try to find some salty water because it helps you, doesn't it? I worked at the Ford plant back in the 70s. And interestingly enough, this is, was an OSHA thing back in those days, and it's no longer healthful. But anyway, back in those days, and it was, it's miserably hot in a, a plant like that. And when it was 100 degrees outside, it'd be about 130 degrees inside. And you would literally sweat so much working on the line that they had these big fans blowing on you, which would dry up your sweat. And that would allow you to form salt crystals on your neck. And you wonder, where did I get this sand all over me? And you taste the sand because that's what we do. And it was salt crystals. And it would make you tired because you were sweating out all your salt. So you go to the drinking fountain and there was this great big bottle of salt tablets. And it was understood that at break time you take three or four salt tablets. Thousand milligrams of salt. Terrible. But amazingly enough, when you were exhausted from heat in those 12-hour shifts and those 130 degree temperatures, if you took some salt tablets, guess what it would do? It would energize you and enable you to function. It gave you strength because your body needed salt. Jesus never worked in a factory, but he understood the need for salt. He understood because he lived in a desert environment, because he understood salt cured meat, because he understood the need for purification rituals and all those kinds of things. And he knew that everybody else in his life understood how valuable salt was. The only time salt wasn't any good was when salt had become mixed up with other powders. It would, it would become diluted. Salt doesn't really lose its strength. It just becomes diluted with other things, calcium particularly. And if it doesn't have much salt in it, it's just a powder that's worthless. That's what Jesus was talking about. Everybody knew that, by the way. So Jesus used this common analogy and said, you are the salt of the earth. People of faith, you are the salt of the earth. You can make things better. You can enhance 
the experiences of life just by living out your faith. You see, it's very practical. Not necessarily by being religious. Oh, Holy Father, not that tithe stuff. You know, what he was talking about is you enhancing people's lives by the way you love, by the way you lead, by the way you give and forgive. You enhance life. You make it better. If you've lost your flavor, there's no point. In other words, if your religious faith doesn't make you a better person, and it doesn't enable you to help other people, and it doesn't able, isn't able to help you fight the decay that is common in humanity, it's worthless. Faith can make a difference. Think of some of the things that we value as Christians. We value honesty. If a culture has leaders or media personalities that can't be trusted, what do you do? We may find out. Tough, isn't it? When you want to find out the truth, which channel do you go to? And after you get that perspective, which channel do you go to to get the other side? You know the routine, don't you? You listen to this channel, you hear what they say. Then you listen to this channel, hear what they say. And then you try to mush out what you really believe. And it's hard to tell, isn't it? Because we understand that if they got a microphone, they're probably lying. Whoever they is doesn't really seem to matter. We value truth and honesty. If Christians would demand truth and honesty of our leadership, it might make a difference. Instead, we tend to get caught up in the same sort of nonsense, don't we? And you know, Christian leaders and Christian groups sometimes say things that we know aren't true. Shame on us. Jesus said, if the salt has lost its savor, throw it out. There might be some brands of faith that aren't worth it. Even some brands of Christian faith. And I'm not talking about Christian faith. I'm talking about some groups that lose the ability to discern truth, to restrain actions and things like that. You're trying to think, is he talking about those Republicans or Democrats? Yes. Christians, if the salt has lost its savor, throw it out. One of the other things Jesus talked about here was light. If you have light, no one just puts it under a basket. And this is an analogy that Jesus has used. And Jesus has been quoted literally millions of times. If you have a light, you don't cover it up. You put it up on a pedestal because people need to see. Light enables you to avoid stumbling. Light enables you to see in the darkness. Light enables you to see what's out in the darkness. I have this bright light my brother-in-law gave me. And it is a piercing flashlight. And it's just the funnest thing to go out in the, in the pitch of night and dark. And I, my house is surrounded by woods. Almost paradise. And I can take that lightning and I can twist it. And then a beam gets real narrow. And it'll shoot a beam three or four hundred yards. It's a really good flashlight. And it's amazing to me. I see nothing out there. And then boom, 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 boom. Six pair of eyes looking back at me. I don't know what they are. I hope they're deer. They might be something else. I hope they're not people because, you know, people. But I can't see them, but when the light is on them, I can see it. It reflects back. You see, light gives you the ability to see what is actually there. So, this light of Jesus gives us the ability to see what is actually there. 
Again, using that standard of truth and righteousness and biblical teachings, when you look at your culture and look at your world and maybe look at yourself, maybe you can see what's actually there. Sometimes light simply keeps us from stumbling in a path or something like that. We all carry our phones now. It's amazing. When we get in the dark, everybody pulls their phones out and turns that flashlight thing on. And we walk like this. Ever done that? Because it's dark down there. And if we see, we won't stumble. Jesus knew that. He didn't have phones, didn't have to. But he knew that light gives you the ability to see what's there. To take the right steps. To make the right choices. It's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, if you follow me, if you have a faith that's worth having, then you learn to see. And that light helps you. That light helps others. So in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, when you do these good things out of faith, let people see. When you have these convictions that enable you to make good choices, talk about them, don't keep them secret. I'm afraid that in America we've valued our privacy a little too much, if that's possible. My faith is private. I'm not going to talk about it. What nonsense. It's exactly the opposite of what Jesus wants us to do. Talk about your faith. You don't have to preach it. You don't have to necessarily be a preacher or be obnoxious with it. I remember this Christian leader back from the 70s, a guy named Keith Green. He was a musician. And he's dead now. He was killed in a plane accident. But he wrote this pamphlet. And it had a picture of a... Of a of a guy, and the title of the pamphlet was How to Witness for the Wrong Side. And the guy had a big grin on his face and he had Bible tracts falling out of his pockets and, and had a big Bible in his hand and a cross in the other hand. And he was obviously one of those guys that you would avoid at all cost because he would throw Bible tracts at you and tell you about Jesus in a way that was obnoxious and he wouldn't go away. There is a way to talk about Jesus that simply doesn't fit anywhere. I get that. It's up to you to discern, how can I share my faith? How can I live my faith where it will show people what's good about following Jesus? So you have to answer that one. Sometimes it means speaking up in a conversation. At other times it means a very subtle comment or something like that. It's okay. The fact that people don't want to hear it isn't really the test. It's how you do it. Be gracious. Be kind. Do the right things. I think typically if you do good actions, faithful actions, loving actions, forgiving actions, people will give you an opportunity because they'll ask you, what in the world are you doing? And a simple, I'm following Jesus and this is how I, I do it. Sometimes that's good enough. If you have a light, you don't put it under a basket. You put it on a pedestal. So Jesus is given this idea when you ask what does God want me to do? And he says, I want you to live a life of faith. This is what he's talking about. Be salt. Be light. He doesn't define it, does he? He allows you to work that out. See, Jesus values personal freedom and personal responsibility and all those things we talk about. Let your light so shine before men. One of the other things that he brings up here, and this is the next thing on screen. I want you to live a faith... That has come from God himself. In other words, 
Practice the faith that God gave you in contrast to the faith that people shape and develop. Now, the reason that's important is because people have a tendency to mess things up, don't they? We fix it. We make it better. We enhance it. Sometimes we just mess it up. So Jesus talks about these things, about this faith, and things that come from God. And what we have to do, and this is hard for Christians, you have to think about this. You have to study scripture. It helps to stay awake during sermons and Bible study lessons and things like that. So when Terry talks, don't gloss over and think about lunch. When I talk, don't think about going to the bathroom or whatever. I get it. Instead, try to think. Apply your faith. Learn what you can. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and shape you. And then try to figure out what faith is God giving us. Jesus, interestingly enough, said here, I came not to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. So, a couple of things here that he wants us to learn. Number one, true faith is based upon God's work in history. So, the true faith is based upon that ancient faith that begins in Genesis. In beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he made humanity equal in his image. Men and women, everybody, were all the same. And what happened? We screwed it up. Yep. And that story is in the gospel. And of course, in that story of creation is the gospel message. Called a protoevangelium. Remember that term? Where in the end, God promised Adam and Eve when you're going to suffer this sin, that's the results of sin, that eventually there will come one who will fix things. And you're going to bruise him up, but he's going to crush your head, evil one. In other words, he's telling the story of Jesus. And then in the Old Testament, there are stories where God is saying, I love you, I want you to follow me. These are typical things that I want you to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And of course, they rejected it. And then Isaiah came. You remember what Jesus talked about? I mean, Isaiah talked about? He talked about a suffering servant who by his stripes you were healed. Sometimes people think that the New Testament has new information. It really doesn't. I mean, there are some details. His name was Jesus. But really, the story of the gospel is Old Testament, the law and the prophets. So when Jesus is saying, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill it. What he's saying is, listen, the faith that you people have had all your life is what I want you to do. It's kind of hard to accept. This is why after Paul was... Converted, you remember this, Paul was a hardcore Bible-thumping Pharisee of the Old Testament stripe. Remember that. And he got saved, had a dramatic conversion, and he had to go away for a long time, didn't he? Had to study and figure out, he'd go, okay, wait a minute. I know that this is what I was taught in the Old Testament, and that I know Jesus is here. And what Paul had to do was refigure everything because he knew that Jesus was the answer, but he didn't understand how Jesus fit in the Old Testament. So we had to go back and figure it all out. So the New Testament, much of it is, not just the words of Jesus, but the words of Paul trying to explain to us how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So again, this is what Jesus was talking about. So the faith that Jesus wants us to practice is the faith that is based upon God in Christ working to redeem humanity. That God loves everybody. That everybody is created in the image of God. 
that we're all sinners separated from God and worthy of hell. And none of us are any better than all the others. See, that's pretty revolutionary. When you accept that you are no better than anyone else, that changes everything. If you really buy into that, folks, bigotry and racism and hatred and just the exclusion of anybody who doesn't walk just like you want them to. You know, all those things are no longer acceptable. It changes you when you realize who you are. Jesus is saying, this is a faith that will make a difference. And it's a faith that comes from God. A faith that allows you to feel better than other people isn't from God. A faith that allows you to manipulate others for your own benefit isn't a faith from God. A faith that allows you to hate people that aren't like you is not a faith from God. See, Jesus was bringing the old faith that people had rejected. Because the Jewish people, remember, they hated everybody. They isolated themselves after the Babylonian captivity. Remember that? They got rid of everybody. And all those people that, that the Jewish people had married during captivity, the prophets said, we don't like them anymore. Get rid of them. And the prophets made them divorce their wives and get rid of their families because they had the wrong background. That's not what God wanted. God wanted them to love and share and bring them into faith. You see, even God's people do it. It's easy. Hatred comes naturally. Bigotry comes naturally. Separating comes naturally. It's just what we do. But the faith that God gives us won't allow us to do that because it pierces through that nonsense that is humanity and forces us to see us as we are and to see other people as we are. We're all the same. The fact that we don't smell as bad is irrelevant. The fact that we talk a particular language is irrelevant. The fact that we grew up in a particular place doesn't make us better. So Jesus would say, I want you to practice a life that brings righteousness into your lives. Now, the thing of righteousness is interesting here. Look at verse 20 if you would. Still in Matthew 5 verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, the scribes and Pharisees were the religious types. They were the good folk. They were the elites. Good jobs, good folk, nice family, two kids and a dog, etc. And they were so self-righteous and self-serving that no one could stand them. And everybody knew that you needed to stay away from them because they were nothing but trouble. And the faith that they espoused was that miserable kind of faith that served to keep people down and separate them. Jesus said, okay guys, you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, you got to be better than that. Which meant that Christianity was more than just following the rules, wasn't it? It was about loving people and being gracious and kind and getting past the nonsense that is typical humanity. And learning to love others and reach out to others and help them and love them and all those things that, that you know about, you learn about in church, but they're hard to do. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be like the religious leadership. I want you to be the way I want you to be. So God tells us. When you say, well God, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, well this is what I want you to do. I want you to follow me in faith. And I want you to love people. 
live that life of righteousness, yes, characterized by some of the do's and don'ts. Loving people doesn't mean you don't have to follow the do's and don'ts. There are some things that are simply inappropriate for Christians and some things that need to be a part of every Christian life. We can talk about those in another sermon. But, you know, you got to do that. But really, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be grace and kindness and love for other people. That's the righteousness that God is looking for. So this is the way God would answer that question, or one of the ways. On screen is a simple idea. What God wants from us is for us to live by faith. That faith is a gift from God himself who loves us and gave himself up for us. So this is one way to consider the answer. What does God want you to do? God wants you to be a person of faith. The kind of faith that builds people up. The kind of faith that makes you better than you are. The kind of faith that changes you from the inside out. And that's what God wants us to do. Why don't you stand with me? I was going to say Nate's going to come and lead us, but he's not. But Brian is going to come and he's going to play for us. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me and sing this song softly and tenderly, Brian. prayer. Hopefully the weather will be better next week and we'll see more of us here. Thanks for coming today guys. Dave? Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for what you do in our lives and we thank you so much for the message today. Help us to be the salt and the light in this world. We pray also the Lord that you Help us to see and act on opportunities to serve you throughout this coming week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.